Hello, listeners. Welcome to the podcast, Tech Talk with Vijaya. This is a podcast where we cover topics around new age technology, low-cost innovations globally, and the startup community. Vijaya Rao will invite leaders in these spaces and the world at large, including innovators who have been behind smart, intelligent, yet frugal innovations that have meant a world of difference to the less privileged sections of society and those who are working with these innovative solutions to impact the environment. Here's a brief background on Vijaya Rao. She is currently the founder and CEO of TechVO, a technology platform for small and medium-sized businesses to establish innovative technologies through globally sourced expert companies. It provides a boutique and affordable offering on par with the big five consulting practices. She's a C-level executive with over 25 years of experience in designing, developing, and implementing technology solutions for small, medium, and large organizations. She has held senior roles at Google, JP Morgan Chase, and CenturyLink. Her first foray into entrepreneurship came as she founded and managed the logistics company, Delivery Circle. She has managed global businesses across the US, EMEA, APAC, and Latin America. For some time now, she's been a well-regarded thought leader in the digital and technology spaces. Here's Tech Talk with Vijaya. Hello, listeners. Welcome to this, another episode of my podcast, Tech Talk with Vijaya, The Glass Ceiling, a myth. In this episode, I will converse with two extraordinary women, Sharon Priestler and Tamara Loher, who have broken into this male baton and created a place for themselves at the top. As I speak with them, I once again say this, the glass ceiling is a myth. If you're a performer, you will emerge on the top, gender no bar, and we have living examples of them. Sharon Fraser was the first woman woman to fly the F-16 as the captain of Southwest Airlines and worked in an industry where not many women dare to go. Today, Sharon is a professional speaker who speaks about the importance of debriefing your life to live better and the value of inclusion to build your best team. Tamara Loher is an award-winning entrepreneur who is also the founder of a company that sells ethical beauty and wellness products online directly to conscious consumers. Tamara believes in business as a force for good and is on a mission to inspire more businesses to make a positive impact. Also encourage more women to take the lead to ethical entrepreneurship. She is the co-founder of YPO Impacts Chapter, a member of YPO Hollywood, and also the winner of Goals TV Award. Welcome Sharon and Tamara. Both of you have a very, very impressive background and I'm sure you know, a lot of young professionals out there are thinking, you know, how did you achieve this? Let me start off with some questions that I have personally for you. And I have, you know, gathered questions from young women, as I said, in the mentoring group that I, I'm part of. Let me start off with you, Sharon. And as, as we were doing, um, as we were talking before this podcast, I come from the tech space myself, and I have always believed it to be a, you know, highly male dominated, a lot of men, less women, less girls in that space. But when I look at your space and your background and this, you know, the, the things that you have done in your um, career, that is very impressive. Not only impressive, but you were the first, like you were the first F-16 pilot in the Southwest Airlines as a woman. 
So how did you do all this? Or did you do things differently to be the first in those spaces? Well, being the first F-16 pilot as a woman was the result really of a lot of hard work and then really some luck and timing. You know, when the law changed, they selected people they thought they had their criteria and I was selected and I was very thankful for that. But then I also had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into. I was, I was very excited for the opportunity, but over the next five years, at least the first probably five years, it was a significantly more challenging than I thought, because there was just a lot of people that didn't think I should be doing what I was doing. And I'm a big believer in, in letting your performance speak for you. And that, that the way you convince people in my career field anyway, is to fly a good jet. And if you fly a good jet, then you're eventually going to get to be part of the team. If you don't fly a good jet, male or female, you're not. And you know, at the time when this all happened, the chief of staff of the Air Force was not very excited about the possibility. But now, uh, General Brown, who's the current chief of staff, has a video on, or commercial on TV actually that says the airplane doesn't care, and it doesn't. The airplane doesn't care if you're a man or a woman. That's a very so good. So it's one. definitely, yeah, it's it can be very performance oriented, and that's that's I love that about it. Did you feel prior to achieving that, prior to it getting and having that personal satisfaction? Did you feel like you had been tripped from getting something before that? Or did you feel like, why didn't they choose me? And, you know, how did no. you overcome those obstacles? I'm yeah, sure it was, I mean, there was a combat exclusion law in place. So there was, it was against the law in the U.S. for women to be in any combat role. And I didn't think it's smart for the Air Force to spend money training me to fly an airplane that I wouldn't be able to employ. So I, I understood it at that point. And I'd been in the Air Force for a while already, so I didn't necessarily see the injustice of it because I'd kind of grown up with it. Mm -hmm. But once it changed, then yes, I think if, you know, if the rule is that everybody can do this, then let's let everybody do it. And let's just have a meritocracy, right? Let's choose people based on their abilities and, and their performance. And I think that's, you know, that can translate to other things besides flying airplanes. So let me, uh, the same question, but a little pivot to that, Tamara, you, you were the first for many things at a very young age, being a woman. And I'm sure the obstacles that you probably faced in your career getting to that spot is not much different than many of us. How did you do it? And how did you handle the, you know, the objections or rejections? Well, I guess for me, uh, coming from such a small town in Australia, where you're told that uh, pretty much your trajectory is to get married and have children and a third generation mining family, uh, you know, you, you, I had a great imagination. Uh, I was very creative, always have been. Uh, that was the, the gift that I was born with that the universe kindly gave me. And so I would dream about other things that I could do. And I was very stubborn. I wouldn't take no for an answer. I remember my father made me do maths one, maths two, physics, bio, you know, I had to do all the non-creative subjects in my eyes. And, uh, you know, I did really well at school and he was expecting me to become a lawyer and or a, a doctor, which is an interesting concept considering I don't do well at the side of blood. But, uh, you know, I wanted to become an artist. I wanted to, you know, pursue that. And it wasn't until I was older that I realized that my core values, which don't change very often in your life, one of them is do the opposite. And being a creative makes me actually an exceptional entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is actually all about problem solving. So, you know, I would show up to things and because my values are 
creativity, do the opposite, impact, I'm very about impact in the environment um, and people uh, that, you know, I would show up to things like when I graduated uh, university and I got a role in a top marketing agency, I didn't like the way that things were done. So, you know, I was always thinking, well, why is it done this way? It's kind of like that annoying kid of, are we there yet? I was the one saying, but why do we do big things this way? So when, when I didn't like how things were done or I felt there was a better way or a more logical way or a more ethical way, I would go, well, there's no space for me here and I would invent it. So I've always kind of approached it that way, whether it be, you know, the agency that I started at 19 years old, finishing school at 15, because I was like, but why if I can finish school earlier, but why can't I just finish school earlier and go to university? There is that pattern. Um, and now for me, you know, after 25 years in entrepreneurship and I look at, you know, the fact that the top 3,000 companies in, in, in the world are doing $2 trillion of damage to the environment every year, you know, I like to have discussions with my peer group around, well, why is that? Why can't, why can't businesses actually, you know, give more than they take rather than this this constant um, decimation of the planet, this, you know, rampant inequality, none of this stuff makes sense to me. So, you know, luckily there's amazing role models like Paul Polman from ex-Unilever, who's just wrote a book called Net Positive, and my forum in YPO who all say, look, I'm, I'm not going to sit around and wait for governments to fix this problem. Businesses need to step up and, and lead the way in doing this. So, you know, it, it's part of that path of knowing your values, sticking to those, and then, you know, innovating and, and applying whatever your gifts you're given. I mean, oh, my gosh, I would love, hope my next gift is to fly planes. <laughs> I would love that. Please, universe, that would be really nice in my next lifetime. But, you know, just showing up in your gifts and being true to your values. And everyone says, you've done so many things in your career. You know, I used to be a professional songwriter. There's so many things. But I say, actually, there's not. They all have the same base core, the same base values. It's just every seven years, I believe in reinvention and constant growth and saying, okay, now I've achieved that. What is the next milestone? And as long as I'm surrounded by people with like-minded values and, uh, you know, I'm constantly the small smallest in the room, I like to be the guppy and absorb everything, then, uh, you know, that growth just naturally comes and is quite exciting for me. So this, this episode is on glass ceiling. And I say this because I have been approached by many places where I speak to young women, whether it is as a professional speaker or just mentoring team. And I've seen two groups of women. One group that believes that there is a glass ceiling, the other group that probably doesn't. And I'm kind of on the other side because I don't want to believe that there is a glass ceiling because I want to do the best and I want to ask for what I deserve. I want to get your thoughts on that because sometimes there are probably more people that believe that there is a glass ceiling than people that believe that there is no glass ceiling. And I sometimes come in the minority and I, I'm not trying to get more supporters to my thought, but I want to get your honest opinion. Should the women believe that there is one or should they just pretend like there is no nothing that stops them from going and getting what they want? I think previously there was a more structured glass ceiling where it was more systemic, if you will. Unfortunately, I still think there's a little bit of one, but it's more a function of how companies run themselves. And I like your attitude of go through your life pretending there isn't one because 
people are always going to be telling you no, right? It's it's like Tamara said, do you are you persistent? Are you resilient? Do you keep doing what you want to do and do the best you can regardless of what people tell you? And I think that's very, very important. But I think it's also important to recognize the fact that if you want to um, become a CEO of a major corporation, well, not everybody will have an MBA. You're going to need to have an MBA. You know, if you want to become a CEO of a major corporation, well, you're probably going to need to learn to play golf, even if you don't like golf, because a lot of guys are out there playing golf and having those social gatherings. And when you get to that very, very upper level of management, there's lots of people that are qualified and the, the hiring committee or whoever's doing the hiring is going to choose the person that they think is qualified, but they're also the most comfortable with. So that social portion of it, that social relationship is not more important than your performance, but you can't neglect it because then you're not, you're not going to get those very, very high jobs. I think we do a lot better than we used to up to the VP level, especially in corporations, but then it starts to taper off again. And you'll see the same thing in the military and the same thing at Southwest Airlines. We do really well up to about the the colonel on the one-star level, one-star general level, and then it starts to taper off. And the same thing at Southwest Airlines, we do pretty good. You know, we have some good senior VPs, but most of them are not in those jobs that are going to groom them for the CEO job. So you need to have the, the correct visibility in the job as well as the performance, I think. But the one thing you mentioned about systematic, right? So what I don't like, and this may be just me, what I don't like also is companies setting aside certain percentage or quotas, and that's happening even in India, right? They are setting aside certain percentage for women in the board or women in the leadership team and things like that. As much as I like why they are doing it and as much as I like that fact that it allows more and more women to get there, I also sometimes feel that painful because now, I mean, somehow in the back of my mind, I always think, did I get this job because you set aside 5% for women in the leadership roles? Or is did I get it because I was the best one that you interviewed? So, I mean, I think, what's that right way to approach this so that this doesn't even become a problem? So it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because you want to have diversity because when you have diversity, you have different opinions, you have different backgrounds, you can come to different solutions and it's good for everybody. But you also want people to know they got the job because they deserve to get the job. And my experience with being such a small minority, I mean, still commercial airline pilots are less than 5%, is people to this day think it's easier to get to be an airline pilot as a woman than it is a man because the companies are trying to hire women and they'll complain because their friend didn't get hired, you know, but 90% of the guys that got hired were white guys, but your white guy friend didn't get hired. And that's the fault of the fact that they hired some women and some people of color. You know, you just kind of have to look at it that way as well. It's, I don't, I don't like quotas, but I do like giving people an equal opportunity. It's just, it's, it's hard to get there and the, the process of getting there and getting the diversity you want is going to be slower if you let it happen naturally True. than if than if you put quotas in. But I also never want people to think that I got where I was because of my, you know, I'm a woman. That's and when you put quotas in, then it impacts the credibility of everybody else, of everybody in that group that you're putting a quota for, right? Because right. people just naturally assume that you got there for some other reason than your performance. Right. What do you think of this, Tamara? I mean, the broad view of whether to have a quota, whether to have a certain number of percentage dedicated. Because if you don't, that will become out of sight, out of mind as well. And I understand why the companies are doing it or why 
it is being done. But give me your broader thoughts on it. Well, I, I, I get concerned that if we rush things, it's a bit like everything. We want to make sure that we have capable people. And we could come undone by setting quotas that we don't have qualified people for and experienced people for. And that actually does worse because there's nothing worse than giving a woman a role that she is set up to fail at uh, without the infrastructure and the support and the experience to be able to step into that role. So yes, I believe that, uh, you know, the gap is very obvious. I mean, I'm in YPO, I started in EO, which was a million dollars a year to qualify. And there was 20% women. I got into YPO, which you have to do 20 million a year before you're 40. And all of a sudden it's less than 10%. And of that, most of them are hired guns. So you just start looking around and going, okay, what's going on here? And what I have found, is it's not that women don't qualify for YPO, uh, sorry, it's not that women don't want to join YPO, it's that they don't qualify. So what we need to be very proactive in is mentoring them and not just once a month for an hour, but leaning into them and giving them our time, our resources. I share my IP with every woman that I meet who wants to do something similar, or I think it's a value. It's only when we lead with abundance and we actually show people how to do it, open our networks that they don't have access to, and really support them to get to that position quicker so that when they step up into that space, they excel. And that's the first part of it, because there's nothing worse for this movement than putting a woman there and, and she fails and then everybody goes, oh, well, look, you know, women aren't capable. It actually makes it worse. It's a bit like women in politics sometimes. You know, you just go, I think I'd rather have a man and not have this situation. So, <laughs> but I digress. So then after they're in that role, I think what's really important is for us to, to look at ways to get them there so that they can step into their space. And what I find is women as leaders excel uh, because they show up in head and heart connectivity. And that is really powerful. You know, when people talk about 10x in business, 10x is really when those two are connected and working really well. And a lot of people say that women lead with the heart and men lead with the head. Actually, it's that, that combination of feminine and masculine that really creates an empathetic and logical leader and a conscious leader. So they are great. I mean, let's look at the stats rather than looking at quotas. You know, women on boards, but those boards outperform. It's that simple. I know when my dad was complaining about women driving dump trucks, I said to him, well, you know what, dad, actually they're, they're way more efficient and they cost, cost less because the studies are there that show that women are better dump truck drivers because they, they don't do wear and tear on the vehicles. They keep it clean. They follow the rules so they don't grind the gearboxes. They're more efficient. They get more loads done. So these are the things we need to be looking at, not these quotas, but instead the actual benefits to business and to corporations for putting women in these positions. It makes good business sense. So our job as, as mentors, and you know, obviously we're, we're all in our legacy part of our career journey, is to really take the time to get them ready, to help them. And it's really not that complicated. If you want to achieve anything in life, go find somebody who's done it before and ask them how they did it. And luckily, women are good at asking for directions. That is true. I agree with everything you said. 
from a standpoint of why so few of us are out there in certain fields, like Sharon, I'm not trying to coach you, but less than 5% of women in, in the, you know, as pilots, or even like, I don't know the other statistics as far as how many women out there in the military space also has actually, you know, climbed up the corporate ladder or not the corporate, but even like have raised through the ranks and things like that. Why are so few of us there? Because of what? Like, do we not take enough risks to go there or does technology and other STEM type of things inhibit us as, you know, I'm, I'm asking because I do see that a lot of girls today are not venturing into that space, maybe because they feel like it's a, you know, it's not worth it or if it's a too long of a road ahead. What, I mean, what are your thoughts in that? I think it, it's like a lot of our concerns today. It has multiple causes, right? I happen to have a mother who, when I was four and told her I wanted to be a stewardess on my first airplane ride, she said, why don't you be a pilot? Right. So if you have women that encourage you to do what you want to do or to to reach out to other things. And I've seen one of the very positive things from social media is there's quite a few groups that encourage young women pilots, aspiring pilots, you know, young commercial pilots who are trying to get on with the major airlines. And, and when you look at the if you look at the demographic of airline pilots, it's very, very small at the at the upper ages like me in the 50s right? And the, the early 60s. And it's a lot bigger in the 20s and the 30s, right? Because as we've gone through these things, and we have movies like Captain Marvel, and we have TV shows that, you know, that show women doing things that they can do, then those girls see that as an example, right? I mean, I have, I can't see it now, but I have like this Barbie doll that I got back in 1992 when I graduated from pilot training, that a squadron commander gave me and she's got, she's got this blonde hair all pooped up and she looks like your typical Barbie, right? And now they have a Barbie out from the new Maverick movie or the new, uh, sorry, Top Gun movie that looks like an actual woman fighter pilot and it's cool, right? So it's generational and it's, I worry sometimes that it moves so slow, but yeah. by the same token, I totally agree with Tamara that we want people that not only are qualified to do it, but have the desire and the devotion to put up with what you're going to have to put up with at least initially in a lot of environments when you go there. And I talked about it a lot with the people that I mentored and it's, it's a double-edged sword when you're a woman fighter pilot or a woman pilot. I mean, in the air force, everybody knew who I was on the base, everybody, right? There can be 500 pilots on the base and everybody knows me because I'm the only woman. And the same thing at Southwest airlines, you know, in Phoenix, there's probably 10 women pilots out of, I don't know, a thousand maybe, but the chief pilot knows all of us, all 10 of us by name and sight, right? Because we're memorable, whether you want to be or not. So when you do good stuff, that's good because they remember, but if you mess something up, you're not going to be able to hide because you stand out either way. Well, I mean, I think when I look at it, I think it is, uh, you know, a two-way street in some ways. I think it's because culture generally, right? When a man is ambitious and wants to go 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 and go after something he's called aggressive but the same qualities in a woman you know she gets different names mm -hmm. and uh, that i think inhibits a lot of us saying okay it's not worth it because if i do the exact thing that he is doing i am still not going to get there because i'm going to get called names i think that's the that's the line that most folks stop at we have to be able to get through that and get on that other side of the mountain to see 
we can make it. It comes with, with the mentoring and the support. And like Tamara said earlier, that's, I think, one of the reasons that women, when given the opportunity and the training, are very good leaders because they look at it from both sides. They don't want to lead like the guy leads that's just yelling at everybody, right? They, although there's very good men leaders as well, but they want to lead with head and heart, just like Tamara said, and care about their people. And then you, you inspire a lot of loyalty. I'm, I'm in touch with so many people that I mentored through my Air Force career still today, and I retired in 2006. And we're still talking, right? So that's important to me and that's valuable. And that's as, and some of them are men and some are women, but just helping people professionally and personally developed is rewarding to me. And it's something that I've always done either in the military or at the airlines. And as you do that more and more as women in those leadership roles, then it's, it moves slowly like a glacier, right? But it moves. And there's, you know, when I was one of seven women fighter pilots in the Air Force, there's now 50 something. I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's, it's, it's a big increase and they're much better accepted than I was when I first showed up. So there's progress. It's just sometimes slower than we want it to be. So there is light at the end of the tunnel. And so nobody should get deterred by just, you know, not pursuing. My next question I'll ask you, Tamara, because you're obviously pretty young and you're, I assume, raising kids, family and things like that. And a lot of questions that I get is around work-life balance. And sometimes, I mean, there is a perception out there that people or women that have achieved a lot in their careers know that magic pill. And I wish I only had access to it, then I could have done better. I always said that there is no magic pill. And my philosophy on work-life balance is, uh, you know, a perspective on how we manage our day-to-day. What is yours and how do you do that? Well, I wrote a book on this because I used to get asked about it every day, (laughs) hundreds of times a day, sometimes on social. But, uh, you know, for me, again, everyone was searching for balance and I would run around and say, have you found it? Have you found it? Have you found it? And I think it's a myth. So I called BS on it, which is the name of the book, you know, how to have a work-life blend, balances BS. And it's because the concept is fundamentally flawed because you've got two sides of a scale. And you've got work and you've got, you know, family. And if you work too much, you go, oh, I better put some over to the family. And you're constantly doing this balancing act. And the real dangerous bit with this is there's no I. And you would know this being from the, uh, the you know, the industry, the, the pilots industry that they say, put your mask on first before helping others. I would love to just do a, a simulation of mothers Uh, and see how many would actually put their mask on first because I doubt they'd go straight, you know, they'd go straight for their kids. So the issue with that is there's no I, and to be honest, I is so important. It has to come first because it's what serves the family, it's what serves um, ourselves, and it's also what serves our business. And we've actually got five extensions of being, but that's that's another topic. So for me, I say throw it all in the middle and blend. I worked extremely hard and played the game and had to put up with really badly behaved men to get to the position that I am now. So I will do it my way. It's that simple. Um, And my way includes blending everything and giving permission to others to do the same. So family for me is very important. And when there's something on, I do not apologize. I say, I cannot be at that board meeting because my daughter has her tennis match and she's, you know, in the state team and I will be there for that. I would love to be part of the board meeting and dial in if that's okay. And I ask for permission. And when I have a quiet moment, I can um, certainly add some value. 
And I ask for permission, otherwise I will not attend. I can read the board notes, it's fine, but I will not live in regret. And then when I do that, I, you know, I always show up and add value. I always show up and give 150%. And there's always gaps when you're blending that you can, you can, you know, lean in and be present. So, and then I give people permission to do the same. So if we, we come from a blended point of view, it creates amazing cultures. I sit down when anyone starts and I say, what is your pathway to your genius? What are you trying to achieve? And what would you, what's your ideal job? You know, and tell me about your family and your bucket list and all those things. And then I blend that into their pathways, which means they're there with me for a really long time. And when it's school holidays, they work from home. They don't start until 9.30 because they get to drop the kids off because there's nothing worse than running around in the morning like a headless chalk trying to get the kids organized and, and being present to drop them off. And I know they go above and beyond. I don't need to keep a tally on them. I know people are only productive for four hours, three to four hours max at a time. So why am I making them do eight-hour shifts? Come to work, do your four hours, go be with your family and be there to pick them up from school and, and to spend time with them. And at night, they're on the computer anyway because they have morals and ethics and they do the right thing. And they're grateful for the fact that they get the same permissions that I do because just because I'm the CEO or I'm the owner of the company, I get the right to leave early and, and um, you know, collect my kids and be at all the events for my children. That to me isn't fun. It's very guilty leaving an office full of people. So for me, if I can offer it to everyone else and we're all mindful of each other and where we're at in life, because there's different people at different stages of life, I find that to be, it's hard to manage, but a blended approach to everything is, is what I find gives you that the growth because everyone says, you know, you're a self-made eight figure entrepreneur. And I go, no, drop the self-made. There's no such thing as a self-made anyone who's at the top. They've all had a team. They've all had mentors. It's been a complete effort from everybody's behalf to get to that point that's a great point that is a great point the other thing that always comes up is this whole parity in how women get paid and men get paid i think the underlying issue is negotiation right negotiation skills or the ability to take risks and you know be able to walk away if you didn't offer me a certain amount that i was looking for or even knowing our own worth so my questions will be divided into two pieces. Why is there a parity in, like, you know, in uh, the income? And that happens across the globe. I'm not talking about any one country in specific. And then is it because of certain characteristics that women show, which is basically uh, not taking risks, lack of negotiating skills, or is it like it doesn't matter, no matter what that underlying lack of skills is, there is always this disparity that will happen. I mean, how do you take this when you hear that there is, a, you know, it's not an equal pay system? I mean, business That's is good. business. If you can get it cheaper, you will. Women don't know their value. It's that simple. <laughs> I don't know why women present for roles for me at less pay. I That's the first thing I talk to them about. <laughs> so and I know it's society and I know it's how we've been trained and conditioned but you know if you project that you will get that it's that simple so we need to shift our mentality around what our value is 
And, you know, when I look at, when I wrote the book, it was interesting that, you know, over 50% of Australian women were breadwinners and almost 50% in America. And uh, all that tells me if they're the breadwinners is that they're running the male's companies. So they have two options. They get paid adequately for it or they go out and they do it for themselves. So, you know, it's not that complicated when you break things down. Um, you've just got to look at, uh, am I, do I feel of value? Am I valued? Am I getting paid? Pay is one part of it. There's other, many other areas that are important, especially to women to feel valued. And it's important to understand people's love language and their human design so that you can address, you know, obviously reward them in the way that they like to be rewarded. But to me, it's simple. If you aren't getting paid, then go out, you're running the business anyway. I think it's a great opportunity for women to step into entrepreneurship because they're already running the businesses. They just, we don't have the capital. That's more the issue. 2% of all capital goes to women. So that's more the issue about how they get started and take that leap. And secondly, you know, uh, the lack of women doing it. It's a lot harder for a woman to get anywhere when she's on her own at the front with her, you know, sword and going, I want to be a warrior. If there's a lineup of women who are all there to support them, this is how we push through this inequality and these gaps because a lot of women don't want to step into that space because it's ugly. I mean, I've heard venture capitalists talk about the death of three which is death by legal, death by media, and, and death by death threats. I mean, no woman will compromise their family, you know, in order to step into that sort of space. So it's not until there's a few of us and we say, no, that's not okay, and, and there's lots of us to step up and do things and expose this sort of behaviour, that women will have the space to be able to shift into those things. And in the meantime, I want to see more women running businesses the way that they do so that we, we don't have to put up with that bad behavior. Do you see the same way, Shannon? Or? Well, it, uh, in the military and at Southwest Airlines, you're all paid the same based on your rank and how long you've been there. So I've been pretty fortunate that I haven't had to deal with it, but I've still seen it in my friends. And I know that one other way, if you don't really feel like running your own business, the other way to do that is to do some kind of job where you get paid a commission you know, that's a certain percentage. You can be a financial planner. You could be a real estate agent. My sister is quite a successful real estate agent and she doesn't have to deal with anybody that doesn't want to pay her. You know, so there's there's other options as well, but I do, Tamara, I really like the entrepreneurship part. I mean, that's, we need to do more and more of that. And then you'll have more businesses that are run the way we want to run them. So what is the primary reason for the venture capital and other folks that fund it, whether it is angels or large institutional group of investors that don't want to fund a company run by women? Is that because it's uh, it's too risky or do they think that the woman is not qualified so their money is at a higher risk than a company that's run by men? Why do women have access to so little capital in that sense? Well, it's not that they're singling out women. It's just how business is. So we don't have enough women with bigger businesses to invest in. And the smaller the big business, the higher the risk, whether it's male or female owned. So that's the first issue is that women are playing it small in business and they're only getting to a certain size. There's not a lot pushing through to a million, 10, 20 or 100. So that's the number one issue. And venture capitalists, it's, it's you know, I'm an investor as well. You look at you know, anything under 10 million in revenue a year is kind of high risk. So that's the first issue. And then the, the second issue is, you know, obviously deal flow. 
And deal flow is done, you know, men do that really well. They get around and they share the deals. And, and because there's no women in that space, in that arena, they miss out on the deals. So I don't think it's, it's um, you know, I, I don't think they're being manipulative or, or trying to be, you know, not give capital to women. I think it's the, the space that they're in. And they need to make a conscious decision to invest more in female founder businesses, because even though they're startup, they lower the risk because women are great leaders and business leaders. They are good at business. What they need is that mentorship. So strategic investment is what I call it. Strategic as in don't just throw money at them, give them the support that they need to fast track to 10 million so that it de-risks it for everybody. And then secondly, be conscious. Why don't we make conscious decisions to invest in not only female founded brands, but brands that um, and businesses that are net positive that you know don't uh you know aren't made in china in our industry because they test on animals there you know just have some values around that um the whole unboxing in our industry is a massive contributor to landfill so ones that are conscious about how it's made what chemicals go in it all that sort of stuff so you know conscious and strategic investment when when the capital, I'm not going to say men, but when the capital is um, applied in that sort of manner, I think you'd see more women getting funded. But I always say to women when they complain about this restraint of the fact that they've pitched a million times and they haven't got capital, I said that's where your energy goes, where your focus goes, your energy flows. If you want to keep knocking on doors that say no, and then it becomes a sniff test, that's fine. Or we could focus your energy on what you can do, which is when you create a very lean business because you don't have capital, it's a good business because I can scale it. So simple, lean businesses are the ones that are the best. So let's look at this as a bonus. Let's let's go very deep and narrow and get you to as close as 10 million as possible. I have the network. I can give you access to the deal flow. Let's start having those conversations once you're getting ready for that next stage of, of um, investment. So, I mean, I'm glass half full though. So I'm kind of like, well, let's turn this into a positive. And, uh, mm. you know, when we knock on that, when we knock on their door, you know what, what's best is when they knock on yours. So let's yeah. put that down as the goal. <laughs> that is good. It's, it's a good approach and it's a good way to look at it. This is a good segue to what I was thinking as you guys were talking about the segments and industries. Are there specific segments and industries that are better suited to get women, you know, thrive, you know, be it a corporate leadership role or even in an entrepreneurship uh, role? Are there certain segments and industries that are best suited for women or should women just think, okay, this is my passion. I'm just going to go do it, not look for industries that are more suited to because I'm a woman or because of my gender. Let's go with the. You, Shannon, first. Sorry, I would definitely recommend that people follow their passion. That is going to, if you're passionate about it, then that's going to sustain you when things aren't going well. And it's going to give you energy. And it's just going to mean so much more to you. I mean, there's all sorts of industries that are that are dominated by women, you know, teachers, nursing. There's, there's industries out there. But if you don't want to be a teacher, what good does it get to you if you end up running a school? You know, you're a principal. You're not passionate about that. What difference does that make, right? Mm-hmm. So definitely follow your passion and then find people that can help you get to where you want to be. And realistically, if you aren't, if you don't have the inner strength, we all have, we all have that inner voice that doubts everybody does, but you have to learn how to put that away because that's when you can put that away and you can believe in yourself. 
then you can find the people who can help you go to the next step. And that's, and that's what we need. It was like Tamara said about, you know, women make less often because they don't value themselves. And I think we, I've had this discussion with my fellow women fighter pilots. I don't think male fighter pilots ever doubt anything, but every woman fighter pilot I know still has that voice of doubt every once in a while. Right. And it's just, I don't know why, but it's there. So the key is to learn to, to put it away, learn to put it away, see yourself more the way others see you. Right. We have this, our, our inner vision of ourselves is very, usually very different from how other people see us. And if you could take some of how other people see you and incorporate that and internalize that, then you'll be, feel stronger and more confident, I think. And the passion will definitely help you get to where you want to be. Your thoughts, Tamara, on that? Yeah, I, I agree that perhaps the passions that women have gravitate them to certain industries. But if you look at my industry, the beauty and wellness sector, we support 99% of it and we own about 3% of it. So all that tells me is that uh, whilst we're passionate about something, it doesn't mean we necessarily own that sector. So, you know, I would like to see that change. If, we, if, the, it, if it's very active in women, then we need to be active at the top of the town and the ownership is of that industry as well. But it, whether you're going for a job or whether you're looking at anything, you know, employees, you know, who you take capital from as well, you know, I, I, I don't just say, okay, well, I'm looking for capital. I say, this is how I take money because it has to be ethical. You know, I look at, you know, their portfolio of other businesses that they invest in to make sure that they're clean and aligned to my values. So look at the values. I mean, Unilever is a beautiful example. Um, you know, the values of the company are strong, even though they're a multinational and they're a great company to work for. If you singled out that industry, then, you know, that would be really silly. So audit everything by your values and what's important. And is it, is it aligned to you? And is there a pathway to turn your passion into something that, um, you know, is, is a wealth creation for you and your family. So, you know, doing that constant audit and starting with your values, having those foundations and applying it as a compass, no matter where you're traveling in your journey is really important. It's a great point. Great point. <clears throat> so if, if there is one piece of advice that each of you can give to the young girls out there that want to have a stellar background, stellar career like yourself, and they are, probably in their early 20s, just getting out of college, just starting their, their career, what would that one piece of advice be? Let's go with you first, Shen. I would say to remember that you get to decide who gets inside your head. By that, I mean, you get to decide whose opinion matters to you, right? And if you're doing something worthwhile in the world, there's going to be people who tell you, no, you can't do that. And you get to decide if you listen to them. I love that. Yeah. Your mindset is so very inspirational. So important. I guess for me, there's two things. One that resonates quite well with me is a saying from Warren Rustang, which is you are not a success in business if you fail at home. And when I say home, I mean family and self. And I think that's really important, women's mental health leading into that one. You know, and the second thing is, is, uh, you know, surround yourself with people that you want to become. You are within you know, 95% of the people, you are within 5% of the people you spend 95% of your time with. So seek out those people and make them part of your life. The first decade of my career, you know, I was the only one in my family starting a business. And, you know, I was always put on this pedestal 
but it wasn't until I got into the business world and I went, wow, I had never even thought of, you know, family office. I didn't even know what a family office was or an investment. When you surround yourself with people who are doing huge things, it just makes you think a little bit bigger. So surround yourself with those and you will become them. Great. That's great. Fascinating. I didn't, I just looked at the clock and thought 15 minutes we've been talking of thing, you know, things that I am so passionate of. And I think, you know, everyone that's hearing this would work and think, you know, it resonates with me because everything that you guys said today is something that I think of and the way I have thought and the way I, you know, came up through my own corporate background. But uh, this is so fascinating and I'm sure, uh, you know, our audience will love it. If anyone wants to reach out to you directly, are you open to it? And that's okay if you are, you, you know, we can we can uh, share your information on the podcast so that they can reach out to you directly. Absolutely. Uh, for me, uh, I do fortnightly gatherings where we get together and we focus on our goals. We, we give ourselves permission to let go of the things that didn't go so well in the last month. Uh, so you, I, I hold those virtually so that women can join the space uh, and focus on their purpose. Women are rarely driven by money, I find. And uh, the other thing is, is if you do have an existing business um, and it is sort of at over that half a million to a million mark, uh, I do mentor a group of women uh, that are anywhere between one and 120 million in revenue. And the whole point of that is for us to collectively put together our, our skills and our learnings so that we can all leverage that in order to move quicker. So there are two things that are on the table for anyone who's listening who would, who would like to um, reach out and have more conversations. Vijay, also for me, I'll give you the information, but it's they can go to my website and contact me and I'm happy to talk with people and share experiences. That's what I enjoy doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. In Tech Talk with Vijaya, each month we cover new and upcoming technology as well as innovation series that have taken the world by storm or have the potential to do so. So share this podcast with your friends who are passionate about these topics and also stay tuned.